Chapter Fourteen of the Expedition of the Donner Party and Its Tragic Fate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Expedition of the Donner Party and Its Tragic Fate by Eliza P. Donner Houghton. Chapter Fourteen The Quest of Two Fathers. Second Relief in Distress. Third Relief Organized at Woodworth's Relay Camp. Divides and one half goes to succor Second Relief and its refugees, and the other half proceeds to Donner Lake. A Last Farewell. A Woman's Sacrifice. It will be remembered that Mr. Eddy, being ill, was dropped out of the First Relief at Mule Springs in February and sent back to Johnson's Ranch to await the return of his party, which had promised to bring out his family. Who can realize his distress when it returned with eighteen refugees, and informed him that his wife and little Maggie had perished before it reached the camps, and that it had been obliged to leave his baby there in care of Mrs. Murphy? Disappointed and aggrieved, the afflicted father immediately set out on horseback, hoping that he would meet his child on the trail in charge of the second relief, which it seemed reasonable to expect would follow closely on the footsteps of the first. He was accompanied by Mr. Foster, of the Forlorn Hope, who had been forced to leave his own little son at the camp in charge of Mrs. Murphy, its grandmother. On the evening of the second day, the two reached Woodworth's camp, established as a relay station pursuant to the general plan of rescue originally adopted. They found the midshipman in snug quarters with several men to do his bidding. He explained that the lack of competent guides had prevented his venturing among the snow peaks, whereupon Mr. Eddy earnestly assured him that the trail of those who had already gone up outlined the way. After much deliberation, Woodworth and his men agreed to start out next morning for the mountain camps, but tried to dissuade Mr. Eddy from accompanying them on account of his apparent depleted condition. Nevertheless, both he and Mr. Foster remained firm, and with the party, left the relay camp, crossed the low foothills, and encamped for the night on the Yuba River. At dusk, Woodworth was surprised by the arrival of two forlorn-looking individuals, whom he recognized as members of the Reed-Greenwood Relief, which had gone up the mountain late in February and was overdue. The two implored food for themselves, also for their seven companions and three refugees, a mile back on the trail, unable to come farther. When somewhat refreshed, they were able to go more into detail, and the following explanation of their plight was elicited. One of our men, Clark, is at Donner's camp, and the other nine of us left the cabins near the lake on the 3rd of March with seventeen of the starving emigrants. The storm caught us as we crossed the summit, and ten miles below drove us into camp. It got so bad and lasted so long that our provisions gave out, and we almost froze to death cutting wood. We all worked at keeping the fires until they were completely exhausted, then seeing no prospects of help coming to us, we left and made our way down here, bringing Reed's two children and Solomon Hook, who said he could and would walk. The other fourteen that we brought over the summit are up there at what we call starved camp. Some are dead, the rest without food. Woodworth and two followers went at once with provisions to the nearby sufferers, and later brought them down to camp. Mr. Reed and Greenwood stated that every available means had been tried by them 
to get the seventeen unfortunates well over the summit before the great storm reached its height. They said the physical condition of the refugees was such, from the very start, that no persuasion nor warnings nor threats could quicken their feeble steps. All but three of the number were children, with their hands and feet more or less frozen. Worse still, the caches on which the party had relied for sustenance had been robbed by wild animals, and the severity of the storm had forced all into camp, with nothing more than a breastwork of brush to shelter them. Mrs. Elizabeth Graves died the first night, leaving to the party the hopeless task of caring, leaving to the party the hopeless task of caring for her emaciated babe in arms and her three other children between the ages of nine and five years. Soon, however, the five-year-old followed his mother, and the number of starving was again lessened on the third night when Isaac Donner went to sleep beside his sister and did not waken. The storm had continued so furiously that it was impossible to bury the dead. Days and nights were spent in steadfast struggling against the threatening inevitable before the party gave up, and Greenwood and Reed, taking the two Reed children and also Solomon Hook, who walked, started down the mountain, hoping to save their own lives and perhaps get fresh men to complete the pitiful work which they had been forced to abandon. When Misters Reed and Greenwood closed their account of the terrible physical and mental strain their party had undergone, Mr. Woodworth asked his own men of the relay camp if they would go with him to rescue those unfortunates at starved camp and received an answer in the negative. The following morning there was an earnest consultation, and so hazardous seemed the trail and the work to be done that for a time all except Eddie and Foster refused to go farther. Finally John Stark stepped forward, saying, Gentlemen, I am ready to go and do what I can for those sufferers without promise of pay. By guaranteeing three dollars per day to any man who would get supplies to the mountain camps, and fifty dollars in addition to each man who should carry a helpless child, not his own, back to the settlement, Mr. Eddy secured the services of Hiram Miller, who had just come down with the second relief, and Mr. Foster hired, on the same terms, Mr. Thompson from the relay camp. Mr. Woodworth offered like inducements on government account to the rest of his men, and before the morning was far advanced, with William H. Eddy acting as leader, William Foster, Hiram Miller, Mr. Thompson, John Stark, Howard Oakley, and Charles Stone, who had left us little ones at the lake camp, shouldered their packs and began the ascent. Meanwhile, how fared it at starved camp? Mr. and Mrs. Breen being left there with their own five suffering children and the four other poor moaning little waifs, were tortured by situations too heart-rending for description, too pitiful to seem true. Suffice it to relate that Mrs. Breen shared with baby graves the last lump of loaf sugar and the last drops of tea, of that which she had denied herself and had hoarded for her own babe. When this was gone, with quivering lips, she and her husband repeated the litany and prayed for strength to meet the ordeal. Then, turning to the unburied dead, they resorted to the only means left to save the nine helpless little ones. When Mr. Eddy and party reached them, they found much suffering from cold and crying for something to eat, but not the wail which precedes delirium and death. This third relief party settled for the night upon the snow near these refugees, who had twice been in the shadow of doom, and after giving them food and fire, Mr. Eddy divided his force into two sections, 
Misters Stark, Oakley, and Stone were to remain there and nurture the refugees a few hours longer, then carry the small children and conduct those able to walk to Mule Springs, while Eddie and three companions should hasten on to the cabins across the summit. Section 2, spurred on by paternal solicitude, resumed travel at four o'clock the following morning and crossed the summit soon after sunrise. The nearer they approached camp, the more anxious Mesters Eddie and Foster became to reach the children they hoped to find alive. Finally, they rushed ahead, as we have seen, to the Murphy cabin. Alas, only disappointment met them there. Even after Mrs. Murphy had repeated her pitiful answer, dead, the afflicted fathers stood dazed and silent, as if waiting for the loved ones to return. Mr. Eddy was the first to recover sufficiently for action. Presently Simon Murphy and we three little girls were standing on the snow under a clear blue sky and saw Hiram Miller and Mr. Thompson coming toward camp. The change was so sudden it was difficult to understand what had happened. How could we realize that we had passed out of that loathsome cabin never to return, or that Mrs. Murphy, too ill to leave her bed, and Keseberg, too lame to walk, by reason of a deep cleft in his heel made by an axe, would have to stay alone in that abode of wretchedness. Nor could we know our mother's anguish as she stepped aside to arrange with Mr. Eddy for our departure. She had told us at our own camp why she would remain. She had parted from us there and put us in charge of men who had risked much and come far to do a heroic deed. Later she had found us, abandoned by them, in time of direst need and in danger of an awful death, and had warmed and cheered us back to hope and confidence. Now she was about to confide us to the care of a party whose leader swore either to save us or die with us on the trail. We listened to the sound of her voice, felt her goodbye kisses, and watched her hasten away to father over the snow, through the pines and out of sight, and knew that we must not follow. But the influence of her last caress last yearning look of love and abiding faith will go with us through life. The ordeal through which she passed is thus told by Colonel Thornton after a personal interview with Mr. Eddy. Mrs. George Donner was able to travel, but her husband was in a helpless condition, and she would not consent to leave him while he survived. She expressed her solemn and unalterable purpose, which no danger or peril could change, to remain and perform for him the last sad office of duty and affection. She manifested, however, the greatest solicitude for her children, and informed Mr. Eddy that she had fifteen hundred dollars in silver, all of which she would give him, if he would save the lives of the children. He informed her that he would not carry out one hundred dollars of all she had, but that he would save her children or die in the effort. The party had no provisions to leave for the sustenance of these unhappy, unfortunate beings. After remaining about two hours, Mr. Eddy informed Mrs. Donner that he was constrained by force of circumstances to depart. It was certain that George Donner would never rise from the miserable bed upon which he had lain down, worn by toil and wasted by famine. A woman was probably never before placed in circumstances of greater or more peculiar trial, but her duty and affection as a wife triumphed over all her instincts of reason. The parting scene between parent and children is represented as being one that will never be forgotten, so long as life remains or memory performs its functions. 
my own emotions will not permit me to attempt a description which language indeed has not power to delineate. It is sufficient to say that it was affecting beyond measure, and that the last words uttered by Mrs. Donner in tears and sobs to Mr. Eddy were, Oh, save, save my children! End of chapter 14